The Acheron in Motion by Rosa Luxemburg, 27th of November 1918. The pretty little plans for a well-behaved, tame and constitutional German revolution which preserves law and order and regards the protection of capitalist private property as its primary and most pressing task, this little plan is going to the dogs. The depths have begun to stir. On its surface, in government circles, an amicable and peaceful agreement with the bourgeoisie is being maintained by all possible means. In its depth, the mass of the proletariat is rising up and shakes a threatening fist. The strikes have begun. There are strikes in Upper Silesia, the workers in Daimler are on strike, etc. But this is just the beginning. By its very nature, the movement will unleash ever larger and even more powerful waves. And how could it be otherwise? A revolution has taken place. Workers, proletarians, whether in uniform or in overalls, have made it. In the government, there are socialists, representatives of the workers. But what has changed for the mass of the workers in terms of their daily wages and living conditions? Nothing at all or as good as nothing at all. No sooner have a few miserable concessions been made here and there than the employers attempt to spirit away from the proletariat even these trifles. The masses are consoled with the promise of the golden fruits which are to fall into their lap from the National Assembly. Through long debates, through wordy speeches and decisions by parliamentary majorities, we are to meekly and peacefully creep into the promised land of socialism. The healthy class instincts of the proletariat rebels against the schema of parliamentary cretinism. The emancipation of the working class must be the work of the working class itself, is how the Communist Manifesto puts it. And working class does not mean a few hundred elected representatives who determine the destiny of society by way of speeches and counter-speeches. Even less so does it mean the two or three dozen leaders who hold office in the government. Working class means the broad mass itself. It is only through active participation by the masses in the overthrow of capitalist relations that the socialisation of the economy can be prepared. Instead of waiting for government decrees to bring us happiness, or waiting for the decisions of the much-vaunted National Assembly, the masses instinctively resort to the only effective means which leads to socialism, the struggle against capital. Until now, the government has devoted all its energies to castrating the revolution, to reducing it to a political one, and to establishing class harmony by raising an outcry against the threats to law and order. The mass of the proletariat is calmly knocking down this house of cards of revolutionary class harmony and waving the feared banner of class struggle. The strike movement which is now beginning is proof that the political revolution has penetrated into the social foundations of society. The revolution recalls its own original purpose. It pushes aside the paper backdrop of some people being replaced by others. 
it pushes aside the decrees which have hitherto not yet made the slightest difference to the social relation between capital and labour, and it itself emerges onto the stage of history. The bourgeoisie certainly feels that its Achilles heel has been touched here, that the farce of meaningless actions by the government has now come to an end, and that in its place there now begins in deadly seriousness the face-to-face struggle of two mortal enemies. This is the reason for the pallid fear and the hoarse anger directed at the strikes. This is the reason for the fevered efforts of the trade union leaders who have subordinated themselves to the bourgeoisie to catch the gathering hurricane in the nets of their old bureaucratic official methods and to paralyse and enchain the masses. Vain efforts. In the period of political stagnation which preceded the World War, the petty chains of trade union diplomacy in the service of capital admirably proved their value. In the period of revolution, they will fail miserably. Every bourgeois revolution in modern times was accompanied by a turbulent strike movement, just as much in France at the close of the 18th century and in the July and February revolutions as in Germany, Austria-Hungary and Italy. In a society based on exploitation and oppression, every great social upheaval naturally gives rise to violent class conflicts. As long as bourgeois class society remains in a state of equilibrium as a result of its parliamentary routinism, the proletarian will also patiently walk the treadmill of wage labour, and his strikes will have the character of no more than minor corrections to a system of wage slavery which appears to be unshakable. But as soon as that class equilibrium has been shattered by a revolutionary storm, strikes cease to be gentle ripples on the surface and become potential tidal waves. The depths themselves begin to stir. The slave rebels not just against the painful pressure of his chains, but against the chains themselves. This was so in all bourgeois revolutions to date. On the completion of these revolutions, which always resulted in the consolidation of bourgeois class society, the proletarian slave rebellions generally collapsed and the proletarian returned demoralised to the treadmill. In the current revolution, the strikes which have just broken out are not a trade union struggle for trifles, concerned only with the details of the wages system. They are the natural response of the masses to the mighty convulsions experienced by capital as a result of the collapse of German imperialism and the brief revolution of the workers and soldiers. They are the first beginnings of a generalised conflict between capital and labour in Germany. They herald the onset of the mighty and direct struggle between classes, the outcome of which can only be the end of the wages system and the introduction of the socialist economy. They release the vital social force of the current revolution, the revolutionary class energy of the proletarian masses. They inaugurate the period of direct activity by the broadest masses, that activity which the socialisation decrees and measures of any representative body or government can do no more than a company. 
This strike movement, which is now getting underway, is also the sharpest criticism by the masses of the fanciful illusions about the National Assembly entertained by their so-called leaders. They already have the majority, the striking proletarians in the factories and mines. What idiots these people are. Why haven't they invited their boss to a small debate in order to outvote them with an overwhelming majority and then achieve all their demands without a hitch and in good order? Is it not, after all, for the time being, formally a matter of genuine trifles, of purely superficial features of the wages system? Let Herr Ebert or Hasser try to approach the striking miners of Upper Silesia with such a stupid plan. They could be guaranteed an appropriate response. But what bursts like a soap bubble on the occasion of a demand for mere trifles is supposed to be capable of achieving the downfall of the entire social structure. Merely through their emergence onto the scene of the social class struggle, the proletarian masses have gone beyond all the previous shortcomings, the lack of resolve and the timidity of the revolution. They are now dealing with the matters at hand. The depths have begun to stir, and the dwarves who play their silly games at the head of the revolution will either tumble head over heels or will finally learn to understand the colossal significance of the world's historical drama in which they are participants. Original De Acheron in Bewegung de Rotofana, number 12, 27th of November, 1918. Translation Stan Crook. Notes. The title is an allusion to famous lines in the Latin poet Virgil. Flectera si nequeo superos acheronta movebo. If I cannot deflect the will of heaven, I shall move the underworld. Ferdinand de Sal used it on the cover of his book, The Italian War and the Tasks of Prussia, A Voice of Democracy, 1859. Engels' preface to the 1888 English edition of the Communist Manifesto quotes the declaration, the emancipation of the working class must be the act of the working class itself. From the Marx and Engels Collected Works, Volume 26, page 517. From Marx, October 1864, the International Workingmen's Association, General Rules, Marx and Engels Collected Works, Volume 20, page 14.